I shared with the men's class on Wednesday night, and I'm going to share it with all of you because I just thought it, it really fits uh, the theme of, of trusting in God versus trusting in ourselves, which you mentioned a few minutes ago and some of our songs mentioned. And, of course, the, sto- the life story of Joseph is all centered around Larry Roberts, who preaches at Eastland, uh, was telling us a story the other day about he, uh, he was at a, a meeting. He was preaching a meeting up in, I think it was Gale, in, in, way up in the Panhandle, West Texas. And he uh, said this, this farmer was leading a prayer, and he said it was all very King James, these thou's, you know, all that good stuff, until he got to one thing he said in his prayer. He said, Lord, as we plow across the fields of life on the balloon tires of self-righteousness, render us a blowout. That's what he said. And see, you, you know who knows what a, blue, a, balloon towel, a balloon towel, I don't know what a balloon towel is. And I'm not even going into that. Balloon tire is by who laughed and who didn't. There's people going, what in the world's a balloon tire? Just, if you, all he's saying is, if you're full of hot air, Lord, puncture that thing. That's all he's saying. There was a lady when I was in Bonham, she always said uh, that her role in the church was always, and she said, I've done this in every church, my role in the church is to be the needle that pops the balloon when people's head gets too big. Now, some people consider that a spiritual gift and they practice it quite often. But, you know, every now and then we do need that. Joseph's life kind of starts out that way. And that's really where he begins. And uh, we're going to be in Genesis 37. It is on the version events thing. If you're one who uses that app, that is there. The only thing is, I put it into version as the ESV, and then this morning I wore a shirt that matched my NIV, so I had to change Bibles. So this will be from the NIV. That's not really why I picked it. Really. Tanya thinks it is, but I promise it's not. Uh, sure. Verse, or no, chapter 37, verse 1. Let's read this together. Jacob lived in the land where the father had stayed, in the land of Canaan. And this is the account of Jacob. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending his flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And he brought their father a bad report about them. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any other of his sons because he had been born to him in his old age and he made a richly ornamented robe for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him, and they could not speak a kind word to him. Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field, while suddenly my sheaves, or your sheaves, excuse me, get, I skipped a line, that's what happened. When suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. His brother said to him, Do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. And when he had another dream, he told it to his brothers. Listen, he said, I had another dream. And this time the sun and the moon and eleven stars were bowing down to me. And when he told his father as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, What is this dream you had? Will your mother and I uh, and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. Now his brothers had gone to graze their father's flocks near Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, As you know, your brothers are grazing the flocks near Shechem. Come, I'm going to send you to them. 
Very well, he replied. So he said to them, excuse me, he said to him, Go and see if all is well with your brothers and with the flocks and bring word back to me. And then he sent him off from the valley of Hebron. When Joseph arrived at Shechem, a man found him wandering around in the fields and asked him, What are you looking for? And he replied, I'm looking for my brothers. Can you tell me where they're grazing their flocks? They have moved on from here, the man answered. I heard them say, Let's go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them near Dothan. And, but they saw him in a distance. So it must be like West Texas. They saw him five miles away coming. And before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. And here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of those cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. When Reuben heard this, he tried to rescue him from his hands. Let's not take his life. Don't shed any blood. Throw him into the cistern. Throw him into this cistern here in the desert, but don't lay a hand on him. Reuben said this to rescue him from them and take him back to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers and they stripped him of his robe, the richly ornamented robe he was wearing, and they took him and threw him into the cistern. Now the cistern was empty and there was no water in it. As they sat down to eat their meal, they looked up and saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead and their camels were loaded with spices, balm and myrrh, and they were on their way to take them down to Egypt. And Judah said to his brothers, What will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay hands on him. After all, he is our brother. <laughs> so, so generous he is, right? Our own flesh and blood, his brothers agreed. So when the Midianite merchants came by, his brothers pulled Joseph up out of the cistern and sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites who took him to Egypt. When Reuben returned to the cistern and saw that Joseph was not there, he tore his clothes. He went back to his brothers and said, The boy isn't there. Where can I turn now? Then they got Joseph's robe, slaughtered a goat, dipped the robe in blood. They took the ornamented robe back to their father and said, We found this. Examine it to see whether it is your son's robe. He recognized it and said, It is my son's robe. Some ferocious animal has devoured him. Joseph has surely been torn to pieces. And then Jacob tore his clothes, put on sackcloth, and mourned for his son many days. All his sons and daughters came to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. No, he said, in mourning I will go down to the grave to my son. So his father wept for him. Meanwhile, the Midianites sold Joseph in Egypt to Potiphar and one of Potiphar's officials, the captain of the guard. So when we're kids, we... We, and if we, you were a kid who went to Sunday school like I did, you, you heard about this story. And I was, of course, a kid long enough ago that I remember this story was in flannel grass. So Joseph always looked like this, you know, walking to his brothers, receiving his robe down in the pit. He was always the same. But I was kind of fascinated with Joseph's story. And there were several things that even as a kid, you know, that popped out to me. One was, you know, the way that God just seemed to keep taking care of him in these surprising ways and, and things like that. One, one thing that always impressed me was we as human beings tend to be complainers. We, we kind of make it an Olympic sport at times. And so much so that, you know, when Paul wrote to the church at Philippi, almost everything there is positive, except he did say, stop your whining. It's in Philippians 2.14, complain and grumble about nothing. Nothing. And that's hard for us, right? We can find things to complain about even when everything's right. We still will find something wrong with things being right. Oh, it's too quiet now. You know, something like that. We'll find something wrong eventually. So 
that's the way we are. You don't see that in Joseph's life story in Scripture. That's not to say he was, he was some kind of a, a super guy who never, ever complained. But it is striking to me because the Bible doesn't hold back flaws. It's actually one of the things that, that appeals to me about Scripture is that in none of the heroes and heroines of Scripture do you see perfect people. It never tries to pretend they were anything more than they really were. In fact, some of the flaws of some of the people that we really hold in high esteem and high regard and that Scripture holds in high esteem and high regard had some pretty incredible flaws. If you are reading along with us in our, our daily Scripture reading, and if you're not and you want to, uh, on that book stand right back there, are still copies left of the Daily Reading thing, or you can go to the App Store or the Google Play Store and download Read Scripture by Crazy Love Ministries. Free advertisement. They give me nothing. Uh, but you can, uh, if you're reading that, you've been reading through Genesis and, and the Psalm. The Psalm is easy to keep up with because it's, what's the date? It's 14th. It's Psalm 14. Easy, easy. But you already read this this past week probably. And one of the things that, again comes out is, man, humanity is messed up. And we were messed up from the beginning. I mean, not, not just the garden, but even some of the things that happened pretty quick after the garden and some of the things... I mean, you look at Abraham's life, and Abraham is a hero. God said so, so I think that's actually, like, official. He's a hero. And yet Abraham makes some of the most boneheaded decisions you think he was almost like me or something like that, you know? It just crazy decisions. And, and his wife did as well, and his kids do as well. And if you're watching the videos, again, excellent. If you haven't taken advantage of that, do it. Really, really good stuff. Some, they point out, too, just in, in, in a big-picture way, that this family that God is using, which is Joseph's family, that this family... If you think yours has dysfunction, they just might give you a real run for the money. Okay? Really, really wild. And it's into this really dysfunctional family uh, that God decides to use all of these different people, of which Joseph is just one. Judah, the brother, who is like, you know, why don't we, why don't we kill a goat and pretend he, he was murdered? Judah is, you know, line of Judah. He's the line through which God chose Jesus himself would come. It's a big picture story with this family, but man, clearly God uses messed up people. If you've ever worried about whether or not God can use you, read Genesis. You will worry no more. God can use you because if He can use them, you are set, you know? It's just the way it is. And you wonder how much of that was conveyed, I assume a lot of it, you know, around the campfire because these were nomadic families. And as they were tending the sheep and they're talking about their family and Jacob is... You know, how did Jacob tell Joseph that he ended up as successful as he was? You ever wonder about that? You ever wonder if Joseph and Judah and Reuben, when they were little kids, ever said, Hey, Dad, <laughs> why do we have two mommies? You know, why do we, why do we, have, why, why do we have Mama Rachel and Mama this and Mama that and Bilhah and Milpah and all of these people? How did all of that start? Well, it all started when I decided to cheat my father out of extra inheritance. And I did that by deceiving him and my brother. And I took them both down. And then, and, and why would you do that? Well, Mama said, well, why would your mother... You know, how does that go? 
All I know is Thanksgiving was rough at the Jacob household, you know. Had to be. And at one point, he's afraid Esau is just going to flat out kill him. And he really, frankly, had good reason to be afraid. I'm thinking Esau probably was fairly temperamental whenever the subject came up, I'm sure. Again, Joseph comes into this family. And his father, Jacob, had made a lot of the same mistakes that had happened in his household. Because Isaac did the same thing with Jacob and Esau. He played favorites. And so did the mother. And so you had one kid who was the favorite of the father, one who was the favorite of the mother. And all that did was breed all of this dysfunction that led to Jacob deceiving Esau and Esau being willing to give up his birthright and all the mess that happened after that. And just like some of the other things that you read about in Genesis, uh, for example, Abraham, Sarah, and Hagar, and Ishmael, and all that mess. You know, Ishmael's descendants are the Middle East, okay? And the Lord said, your kid, Ishmael, his descendants will always be enemies of your kid Isaac's descendants. And every day we turn on the news, what do we see? Israel versus the descendants of the Ishmaelites. It still carries on. But that's not the only mess that you see happen there. The Amalekites and all those guys, also descendants of some of these weird relationships and problems and, and bad decisions. It all happened that way. And all this is Joseph's background. And it all started with parents playing favorites. Is that not a little bit of practical advice to all of us who have kids about how to deal with that and not deal with that and stuff? Man, look at the dysfunction that caused and then Jacob exaggerates it by giving Joseph this jacket that apparently would have made Liberace happy. I don't know. It, I, I really didn't notice until this reading. I don't, you know, probably because I picture the flannel graph from when I was a kid. And that, that was just kind of colorful and with stripes, right? And if you've, well, I want, I was about to tell you what was in my mind, and I'm just not going to do that. <laughs> the, the Holy Spirit said no. No. <laughs> just don't even, just spare those children. The, uh, but he's got this, this jacket, and I hadn't really noticed. The NIV, the old, this is the older NIV, really brings it out that it wasn't just colorful, and it wasn't just, I tried to get Curly to sing Coat of Many Colors by Dolly Parton, but he said no. He said I would have to do it, and I'm not going to do it, so you're just out of luck. But, it wasn't just like that with different scraps of fabric, which would have been something. Because colorful fabric in the ancient uh, Far and Near East, were ex those fabrics were extremely expensive and hard to come by. That's hard for us to imagine because we can go down to Walmart and for $4 you can buy a very colorful Fruit of the Loom t-shirt, right? So it's kind of hard to imagine that color and fabric would be expensive, but it was. Hey, this, this jacket costs more than your iPhone 10 in their day and time. That might help you put in a little bit of perspective. And so it's like all the brothers have flip phones and he's got an iPhone 10 walking out there or something or Galaxy S8, all this kind of stuff. And he, sh he, he shows it off. And it's got bling. This one says richly ornamented. So he's like the rhinestone cowboy of, of Dothan when he walks out to his brother's. Now I got that, man, I loved that song when I was six years old. Yell that out in my grandmother's Mercury Grand Marquis like nobody's business. But, da-dun-dun, there, you got it. Now it's stuck in your head and I don't have to do this alone. But he, he comes out there and is, and is checking up on his brothers. Big mistake, isn't it? 
that Jacob made to send him out there to check up on them, especially after the two dreams? Don't you feel like Joseph should have learned from the first dream not to share the second? You ever thought about that? Your brothers hate you. They don't say anything nice to you. And you say, listen, if y'all didn't like the bringing in the she's dream, wait till you hear the rhinestone cowboy dream. Man, I'm going to be like the sun and all of you little stars and moons, you're just going to gather around me. Oh, and by the way, mom, dad, you guys too. Now, I think it's funny and it talks, it really reverts back to his younger personality that Jacob's response to even his favored son is, well, no, whoa, 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 whoa. I was okay when you said your brothers were going to bow down to me. But do you really think I'm going to do it? Because, you know, Jacob has not been much of a bower himself, has he? Jacob wrestles with God, won't let go until he gets a blessing. Jacob, uh, God himself, he makes into a bargain. So the idea that he's going to bend his knee to his own son is just not going to happen, okay? So that upsets him too. And so they, the brothers just keep seething and getting angry until they decide to throw him into this pit. And it's kind of interesting the way that they go about it. They, you know, Reuben stands up for him, sort of, and he, he kind of hatches a plan, good for him at least a little bit, that you know, he was angry, but he didn't want to go too far. His, his plan gets foiled when they decide they can make a little money off of selling their brother, and they do. They sell him off into slavery. And a lot of you know the, the rest of the story of that. We're going to look at it over the next few weeks, but you kind of know the trajectory of what happens and, and how God delivers him out of that pit. God does this a lot in Scripture, doesn't he? he we get ourselves into a mess, or in, in Joseph's uh, position, he kind of feeds somebody else's weakness of hatred through maybe his weakness of pride and his father's weakness of, of favoritism. There's just all these weaknesses are what really create and stir the pot of all this mess until Joseph ends up in a pit left for dead and then eventually brought out of that pit and sold into slavery. Now, the interesting thing about it that we know because we kind of know the end of the story is that bringing, up, bringing him up out of that pit and into slavery is not the story that the brothers originally intended and it actually is a bit of deliverance and God using uh, some really odd roundabout ways to deliver Joseph out of that situation in the pit, out of the hatred of his brothers, and into a place that God has, has set aside and designed just for Joseph to be able to bear witness to the working of God. And he will actually save not just one, but several nations in the end uh, when the famine comes because he was obedient to God. And that's one of the things that as, a, as an adult when I look at the story of Joseph really sticks with me and jumps out. Uh, as a kid, I like the drama. Kind of like an old western. There's always an up and there's always a down. And, and, and every time there's a commercial break in the book of, in the last half of Genesis, if you ever noticed that, Genesis has commercial breaks. And there's like this commercial break and it leaves you hanging on a cliff and it's, join us next week. Will the Lone Ranger? You know, all that kind of stuff. How's this going to work? How's he going to get out of the pit? And so, in a caved in gold mine and all this stuff. How's he going to get out? And you think nothing's going to work. There's no way he's going to survive this. There's nothing good that's going to come out of this. And every time God keeps just working in his life to turn what they meant for evil, he will tell them later, into something that God meant for good. 
And what impre- that drama, I couldn't have said it like that, but that drama appealed to me as a kid. It's kind of, it is, really is kind of like reading a Western in the way that works, a TV Western. But as an adult, one of the things that really draws me in is not the, the drama and the up and down. That's, that's just built into the story. It's more this underlying consistency with Joseph. He wasn't perfect. He was probably... He, he, okay, if you already know your brothers are mad at you, you don't tell them the second dream, and you don't wear the jacket to check on them in the field, right? So you know that, that there's... He's proud of his position in the family. I think we can, we can draw that from the story and draw that conclusion, that, that as a kid, immature kid, he was fine with the extra attention and fine with the extra perks and didn't have a problem with his father's favoritism. That probably is where he was. So, not perfect. He's got some issues there too, just like the rest of his family. Um, but despite that weakness, just as there were redeeming values within his father Jacob, mess up, you know, almost one of the most messed up people in Scripture, and yet God kept seeing some redemptive things in him that he could use to accomplish his purposes and bless his family. You see this in Joseph, and one of them is that consistency of faith. And I think that's the root of the lack of whining and the lack of complaining that you see in Joseph. Because I do believe that if he had been a whiner, it would be there. I think God would have revealed that to us because he revealed every other weakness he had and every other weakness everybody else had. And that consistency of wherever I am, I'm going to trust God never leaves Joseph. And he has a very strong integrity. You know, what is right? What is wrong? What, what should I do here? That is, is, seems to just be bedrock within him, concrete, that despite some other issues, because he's human, doesn't ever go away. And that's part of what God would use to be able to work his will and deliver a people, and deliver at times Joseph himself. And it's impressive. There's a, a, a plot to all this that I want you to catch. So, they throw him in a pit, leave him there for dead. They fake his death and make it seem as though he is. And then they sell him off into slavery. Okay? God, through all of this, sends deliverance, an unlikely source... He sends uh, a slave caravan their way, a spice caravan their way, and they buy him as a slave. He goes off into Egypt, as we'll see later. He rises up quickly because of that consistency of character and that integrity he had. He was a good worker and a good man overall. And it, it, it made him uh, very much respected by his master in Egypt. Well, in all of that, God is working Deliverance, because God has a bigger picture plan that he wants to work in Joseph's life and, in the end, even in yours. Because this is all big story stuff. This is our story when we're looking at Joseph's life. It has an effect on you every single day, whether you realize it or not. Because, again, this is how God would deliver this family, which would become the nation of Israel, through which God would send his Messiah, through whom he would save you. It's all tied in the big picture. It's just a long story, right? But it's all tied together, and it is your story. And that's not so different, the plot between his and ours. There's a little bit of a parallel here. 
In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And in the midst of that, we're going to skip a few verses, and then when, when it's all said and done, he has this garden, and in that garden he places Adam. Adam says, I think I'm not very good by myself. God, could you do something about it? Adam, God puts Adam to sleep, takes his rib, creates Eve. Adam wakes up. They have a family. This is really flyover, right? Adam wakes up. They have a family and all of this stuff, right? But what do they do first? They blow it. One day they're in the garden. Eve is over by the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The one thing in the garden that God said, leave that alone. Everything else is yours. Everything else is great. Satan deceives her. The serpent deceives her. She takes the bite. She hands it to Adam, who apparently just, you know, doesn't even really think it through very well at all and just takes a bite. And there they are. And there we are. And what's the plot of all of that? God, in the beginning, had favor on Adam and Eve. Not the dysfunctional sort of favor that Jacob has. But God shows them favor. He walks with them in the cool of the evening. That's going to be cool, isn't it? Because we're going to get that back, by the way. That's part of our hope. In the new heavens and the, and the new earth, we, we get that back. Every day He's with them. And they enjoy a relationship with God, the likes of which we still do not understand and have yet to experience. But we will. Ser- the serpent comes in, just like the brothers, right? He comes in. He is jealous of Adam and Eve. Why? Well, Satan, we think one of, the, one of the angels, a highly exalted angel, prominent positioned angel, probably uh, at least like Gabriel and Michael, if not higher, gets jealous. And I think not just jealous of Adam and Eve, but jealous of God as well. This could have all been mine. Not unlike Jacob looking at what Esau was about to inherit. And he plots, and he causes a fall, and they get thrown into the pit of sin and bad decisions. And unlike Joseph, whose death was faked, the result of sin is death. And their death, and ours, quite real, quite spiritual, And the world has never been the same since, has it? But God did not leave Joseph in the pit. From a very unlikely source, He took him up out of that pit, put him in a position that didn't look like it was winning. Okay, It doesn't look like it's winning when you're going off into Egypt, but it was. And over and over again, God rescues Joseph and puts him back in a place that is better even than it was before. And God looked at us, caught in sin, caught in some crossfire of jealousy, just as Joseph was, because really, that's the truth. We're caught in the crossfire of Satan's jealousy of God and of mankind. And he rescues us over and over again. Like Joseph, we're not perfect. It's not just circumstances. We make it worse by some of our own decisions. Sometimes we let pride, as Joseph did, or jealousy, or whatever it is. Sometimes we're maybe more like his brothers. But we let our own weaknesses cause us to end up back in the pit, back into slavery, to the flesh, and to sin. But just like Joseph's life story, 
God constantly has made a way for us to come back to Him, to come up out of that pit, and to find redemption. Because God has a bigger story for you than your failure. God has a bigger story for us than our sins. He still has a destination He wants us to get to and a destiny He wants us to fulfill and a purpose for our lives that's greater than our mistakes or the things that others may do. I think I like the story of Joseph because it's both. He's not just a victim of circumstances. He made some of that worse. And that's real life, isn't it? We've got a mix of both, don't we? Things we've messed up, things that we suffer because others are messed up, and God delivers us from them all. And what He does, or what He did first, was to send His Son. In Mark chapter 10, verse 45, He says, For the Son of Man... <clears throat> pardon me. I got choked up. Came to be a ransom for us. A ransom. He saw Satan garden a pit, just like brothers with a pit. And he bought our freedom. He didn't buy us into just a new slavery, as like Joseph got sold into. He bought our freedom and brought us up out of the pit. Colossians chapter 2 is one of my favorite passages in this regard. If you'll turn over there. Colossians chapter 2, starting in verse 11. That's kind of funny. I mentioned, I don't know why I picked this Bible up. I even put another one down and grabbed this one. Just kind of out of spur of the moment instinct. Not even really thinking about this. But my, Colossians 2, 11 to 14 is one of my favorite passages when it talks about salvation. And it's one that, in my older Bibles, I have something written out here in the margin that I'll share in a second. So it's kind of, when I looked down at this a little earlier during communion, I looked down and went, well, maybe that's why I had this Bible this morning, to remind me of that. I'm going to go back to verse 9. For in, the, in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and you have been given fullness in Christ, who is the head over every power and authority. In Him you were also circumcised in the putting off of the sinful nature, not with the circumcision done by hands of men, but with the circumcision done by Christ, having been buried with Him in baptism and raised with Him through your faith in the power of God who raised Him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and your uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the written code with its regulations that was against us and that stood opposed to us, He took it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. He's writing this church that's trying to rely, as I mentioned earlier, on its own balloon tires. Okay? They're riding along on their own hot air. And He says, listen... You think it's because you've kept this ritual, circumcision. You think it's because you obeyed the law and kept that ritual that you will be made righteous and that you will be made whole and that you will be able to rescue yourselves. That would be like Joseph's story. Instead of having him sold into slavery to the Midianites as they're going through, that would be like he made, he ripped apart his colorful jacket and made a ladder and climbed out of the pit by himself. That story did not happen. And Paul says, and it didn't happen with you either. We do not rest on our own ability or righteousness to be right before God. 
Isaiah says, all our righteousness, it's but filthy rags. Everything you've ever done good, it's nothing but a bunch of dirty old shop towels worn out and ready to be disposed of. And that's why the guy prayed. It's a pretty wise prayer. Lord, render us a blowout. Well, Joseph got his blowout. And I think the consistency of trust and faith that we see throughout his story was probably born in that pit. And I can't say that for sure, but I bet you it was born in that pit with no way out but to trust in God. Pride was not going to deliver him. Favored sonship was not going to deliver him. But God would, and God did. And Paul says here in Colossians chapter 2, that's our story too. That it is through our faith, I love this line, through your faith in the power of God who raised Jesus from the dead. That just as God raised Jesus from the pit of a tomb, Jesus raises you by your faith from your pit. Brings you back to life. Brings you back to freedom. And what Satan intended to harm you, God can turn into good. He says all of that happens when we are buried with Christ and raised with Christ in baptism. He says God does an amazing work. And it's not because we do a ceremony. It's not because we do a particular act. It is because in that act we are saying, God, I trust you. Redeem me from the pit. Raise me up to a life of freedom. And he does. If that's what you need today to be set free, if you are tired of living in the pit and you're ready to call on the name of the Lord by faith, to be buried with Christ in baptism and raised with Christ through His resurrection, then we encourage you to do that as we stand and as we sing.